Before we get started, there's something I'm really excited to share with you. It's no secret that we think diversifying your income is incredibly important. One way that we do it is by investing in rental properties. We've done a ton of research, interviewed experts, and invested over $100,000 of our own money in income-producing rental properties. I am proud to announce that we're launching Rental Properties for Passive Investors. It's a course on exactly how you can passively invest in rental properties. Like our podcast, it's incredibly actionable and details exactly how we've both purchased and managed our rental properties. It also includes a year of investable, the analysis tool we use to make sure the rental properties we purchase are actually profitable. Finding the deal is half the battle. You need to know your numbers to make a profitable investment. We're running a pre-sale for $100 off. Head over to listenmoneymatters.com slash REI to learn more. That's listenmoneymatters.com slash REI for $100 off rental properties for passive investors. Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to Listen Money Matters. The work you do while you procrastinate is probably the work you should be doing for the rest of your life. My name is Thomas. I'm here as always with Andrew. Who are you procrastinating? Is this procrastination? Uh, 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 or, or what were actually? No, actually, better question. What were you doing before I intro this podcast? Because uh, according to Desha, uh, Jessica Hitch here, that's what you should be doing for the rest of your life. Well, I was looking at maps, so maybe I should be traveling. Uh, okay, but I, 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 when I procrastinate, I code Being gossip. So I just need to close all the blinds, all the doors, light a few candles, take my shirt off, and procrastinate. Tweak your nipples for, <laughs> for productivity. It's called procrastinating. <laughs> what are you drinking, sir? Uh, I So I love uh, River Horse. They're like this um, brewing company, but it's like a, a hippopotamus as their logo. Um, Martin will be too spooked. <laughs> and and uh, I am drinking. My name is Citrus Maximus, and it is okay. a IPA with some grapefruit hints. Mm. Uh, and I'll say that it is much more IPA than I thought. I was worried it was going to be like a just a fruit beer, um, but it's good. I take the fruit beer. Mm. None of that fruit IPA beer is good, but I need to be like hot and sweating, like on a beach or something. Okay, I just ordered. Some of these like double wall glass things. Oh shit! Like for tea and coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're sweet. I have a mug one, but I wanted some that were like just like the round cup with no handle. Um, handle. And then I've got like a pot right now of so really spicy cinnamon tea. I saw your tea Something kettle in, in one of uh, your podcast videos on your channel. And it's yeah. pretty retro, awesome. I feel like it's from mid, the, the medieval times, like actual medieval times, and it's like a rectangle. Well, it is from Japan. Oh, okay. So that's the first thing, where they take their tea very seriously. So not medieval times, samurai times. Uh, Yeah, something like that. Well, I mean, they've been making those kind of teapots for a long time. Hmm. I don't think they ever went out of style. But yeah, it's a pretty simple teapot, just hammered cast iron pretty much. And it looks cool. But yeah, the uh, the College Info Geek podcast is like LMM, except for with like fancy tea instead of <laughs> IPAs. <laughs> it's kind of weird if we're just like on the podcast, like, 
teachers are watching like, what are you drinking? I'm just drinking a beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit weird. Though I was recently on a podcast that um, had the spirit of this podcast mm. much more nailed down. What show it's is called, that? It's called Holy Fucking Science. That and it's awesome. a it's a podcast that was it's run by Hank Green actually, um, though it, the episode I was on he was not available to be on it so we had three other co-hosts mm. that weren't him, but it's just like it's they have a beer sponsor, local so they always have a beer oh, and God. basically like the whole show is you just like you come in and you bring a scientific study or fact or story that makes everyone else say holy fucking science and it's like <laughs> basically Hank was like I want to talk about science but I don't want to be safe for work and i want to curse <laughs> so that's what the show is Hell and yeah. it's on youtube it's a video podcast but it was fun it sounds awesome and yeah it reminded me of this show except with twice as many people and we <laughs> talked about the brains of dead nuns though i could talk about that with you if you wanted to next time. but i don't think you want to no i think you want to talk about something called cash out deals parentheses b r r r parentheses I don't know what that means. I don't Burr. know what a cash out. Okay, let, now I don't want to act dumber than I am here mm. because I'm not a real estate investor like you are. Mm. But cash out deal, I feel like that would that would probably mean like eventually you're gonna cash out, like you're gonna sell the house you're owning, right? So it could be it could be that. Um, but in this case, uh, it's you're pulling cash out due to a refinance, um, but you still own the property. Oh, so you're refinancing it, and refinancing basically just means like you're getting a different mortgage. So okay, so the you're getting a new mortgage that pays off your old mortgage, and hopefully the new mortgage like has a better rate or something. Okay, so not necessarily, but but okay. let, let's start like surface level. So if you've heard of Burr before, you probably know Bigger Pockets stuff. They popularize that term, but generally it's just ca- a cash out deal. But Burr, B-R-R-R, stands for Buy, Renovate, Rent, Refinance. And so that's like kind of the, the sequence of events. And um, When they say buy, like you're getting an initial mortgage, right? Right. Okay. And so the, the general, uh, yeah. So, so instead of like jumping ahead, uh, let's just kind of like step through it because I don't want to confuse people. It's, it's a little okay. bit of math wizardry. I do love wizardry mm. and like warlocks. And <laughs> <laughs> so um, the, the first step would be to buy a rental property. Okay. And um, you would want to buy one that was either severely undervalued or uh, perhaps was undervalued for a specific reason. Like it needs a roof replaced or something. So, Okay, be, so you're buying a fixer-upper. Exactly. I, it's it's more likely that's the case unless it, it's... I mean, you always want to buy a severely undervalued home, yeah. right? And it chances that's, that's are... That's the golden egg you're looking for. Exactly. And so if you think of like owning a property and you're going to own your rental property for, you know, uh, 27 years and then you're going to sell it and get another one you could depreciate or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, at some point, in those 27 years, you could pull off a cash out or a burr. And then it depends on the deal where maybe you could do it like 
in year one. Maybe you could do it in year 20. So, you know, obviously you found something that was undervalued and a fixer-upper. You could potentially do it earlier. Okay. So right off the bat, we're just establishing the first part, the buy, is buy an undervalued home. Probably going to need some fixing up, which is I'm guessing why the first R is renovate. Mm. So you're coming in, you're making it a heck of a lot better than it was investing some you know, TLC into it. So, so to put it kind of uh, in context, uh, say you found a property that, uh, you know, the, the equivalent homes in the area were worth 85, but because it had something wrong with it or for whatever reason, it was selling for less and you need to put money into it. You know, maybe it was selling for 60 and you need to put 10 in or something like that. Um, you know, the thought would be you buy for 60, you put 10 in, and but then it'll be worth like 85 or more. Okay. Right? So you want to uh, buy something undervalued and then when you renovate, put money in such that you're not putting in above what it's worth. Right? Okay. So yeah, whatever you put in, like you, I mean, so far this seems standard, right? Yes. Like you would never want to put in more money than what you're going to, you know, the valuation is going to be like if you buy a house at $50,000 and you spend $25,000 installing like gold toilets and shit and then people are like, oh, that's only, only $60,000 now. Like, yeah. So I still have yet to to the specialness (laughs) of this. So let's move on. Okay, cool. So um, then you rent it. That's okay. pretty straightforward. You get a tenant in there, and the goal is to not be without cash flow for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. And the final R, where the magic comes in, is refinance. And, magic and starts with an M. <laughs> magic. <laughs> <laughs> refinance is where the magic starts. Okay. So why refinance? And and for the people who don't even know what that means, what exactly is refinance in this terms? Like is, is it different for rental property? Like So typically you hear refinance um if you know maybe you have student loans and like your rate is eight percent and everyone's right. like, Oh my god, that's so expensive. Rates are now five percent or three percent or whatever. And so you would refinance, you'd basically you have bank A. And you go to bank B and they're going to offer you a refinance and they'll essentially pay off your initial loan, give you yeah. a loan with them at a lower rate. That's, so this is basically the same thing as like when, if you have credit card debt no. and you, you get a, well, it, no, I'm mean, just saying like the concept if you have credit card debt, you get a loan from personal or not uh, from a lending club at 7%, you use that money to pay off your credit card. Like you have essentially refinanced yeah, so into a different, different type of debt. So in the, in, the in this part case, it's of- like. You have a mortgage, mm. and the mortgage is at I don't know four percent. Like you would get a new mortgage that would pay off the original mortgage, and mm. then this mortgage would be for whatever is left that you don't have equity for, but hopefully at a lower rate. Well, and see that's the thing is doesn't necessarily have to be at a lower rate. It could even be at a higher rate. Okay, so why? so you're going to right good. Uh, good, good question. So <laughs> you, you want to refinance. Obviously, you don't want to refinance to an insanely high rate because the numbers won't work out. And we're going to get into the numbers. Yeah. But essentially, 
the goal of the cash out deal, kind of like what you alluded to in the beginning, not really knowing what we're doing or we're talking about because I'm I'm keeping you in the dark, <laughs> is that uh, you want to get cash out of the deal. So out of the deal. And so, so basically like it's not your equity that you're taking out of the house. It's it is something else. Oh, it is. Okay. It is. So imagine you got a house for sixty thousand. Right. That was worth so eighty five. Okay. Right. So I'm um, out sixty k in the beginning, or at but, least the, whatever so, I put in. And and you know uh, I wanted so this isn't a a burr with three R's. This is a burr with two R's. My friend Neil, who I've talked about before, he sat next to me at work. He bought, and this is roughly I couldn't get the exact numbers of his deal but we were talking about it. Um, he got a property that was valued at about 85,000 and he made an offer on roof stock for 60 and they immediately accepted it. And he was actually kind of pissed cause he was like, I should have offered 50, <laughs> but uh, he, so it was about 85. He offered 60, they accepted. And so if equivalent homes in that area are worth 85, right out of the gate, um, he has equity in the property, right? So if he puts 20% down, he has, oh, plus, okay, so he would have $25,000. So, so he'd have 25,000 in equity plus the 20% that he has to put down to buy the house, right? which is 17,000. Um, so he would have, uh, he would have, what, what is 25 plus seven? That's, uh, wouldn't it be eighteen thousand? That would be forty-two. Yeah, sixty thousand dollars. Seventeen. Yeah, that'd be forty-two. Wait. Okay, sixty thousand dollars house. Sixty thousand dollar house. It's twenty percent of that would be twelve thousand. Right. Oh shit. Okay. Sorry. I'm I'm Did jumping you 20% ahead. Percent on the value? No, no, no. I'm jumping ahead on my sheet. Sorry. Yes, you're right. I was thinking twenty percent of eighty-five. Okay, so a question for you. I, <laughs> I wanted to make this document. as not complicated and confusing as possible. I'm already making confusing. So I'm looking at the document or the document here, and you, it says here that the upfront cost is $14, don't don't don't. Yes. Okay. So is that like including the some fee or something? So there's closing costs. Okay, so it'll be twelve thousand is the twenty percent down, and then you're just estimating. 2200 as extra closing costs and such. Essentially, for appraisal and blah 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 and all that shit. Okay. And maybe it would even be a little more. Maybe it would be like 15000 even or something mm. like that. So to, to kind of take a step back, you know, you have this property. Uh, yeah. You get it for 60. It's worth 85. So uh, by putting 20% down on $60,000, you have equity of 12000 Right. But if it's worth 80, 85, you add. So now I have $37,000 in equity. Yes. Uh, okay. So that's cool. So in in this scenario that Neil did, and I'm going to maybe compel him to try this. I'll see if he's interested. He, he probably won't be. Um, actually, I maybe will be. But so anyway. So on, he, Neil. Peer pressure. That's right. <laughs> um, he found he found he has a filter on Roostock. He calls it psycho deals. And whenever a home passes his psycho deal filter, he buys it. This is a psycho deal. He got <laughs> okay. it. And so his upfront cost is, you know, fourteen four to fifteen thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has 
initial equity of 37,000. So right. what he can do is when, when you get a mortgage and we're not going to talk about PMI cause that's stupid. So you're going to put 20% down. Yeah. Don't do PMI. So 20% of 85,000 is 17,000. So he only okay. needs to have that much in, right? Uh oh, you mean at, at for, like, the, like to refinance? Yeah. Eighty five thousand times points. Yeah. So so basically Okay. So what you're saying is if you have a house mm-hmm. and it is um a higher value than when you bought it. Like instantly. I mean, then, it could be instantly. This could be over appreciation for a few years. This could be as a result of renovations that you do. But okay. what happens is the equity that you have in the property is enough such that it would be worth you to pull cash out of your property and create a oh. new mortgage. So basically what you're saying is, okay, you can get a new mortgage that is a loan from the bank for the full value of the home the the ba- or no. for for 80% of the of the new value of the home if if you refinance up to that value yeah and so what you're saying is you could basically take like some of that and just have it yes and if say you okay, put, and then and then the renter continues to pay the mortgage so the interest in the mortgage is being taken care of by your renter right so, Yes. So basically by fixing up your house a little bit past to give it a value higher than what you invested to increase the value, you can basically just generate money yes. from the bank, which your renters then take care of the payment of over time. Essentially, when, when you look at the, the return of a rental property, it's a factor of the amount of money you make on your rent over mm-hmm. the course of a year and the amount you've paid on the property, right? Yeah. Now, if you pay more for the property, then your uh, return goes down, right? Yes. And if you pay less for the property, your return goes up. And if you are able to structure a deal, and I'm going to explain it out because this deal qualifies, if you pulled out 100% or more of your initial investment as the result of a cash out deal... Mm-hmm. Technically, your return is infinite because you have no initial capital in the deal. All all your equity is the generated equity of the higher valuation, right? Right. So Okay. The, the, and so the bank is basically just getting paid by the renter. You now own a house that none of your original dollars are locked into. And you can and put you those walk dollars, away yes. with more money that you can go buy more houses with. Exactly. Or but, buy helicopters with. <laughs> or helicopters with. But there, there are like a few um, rules I would, I would like. To, I mean, you could obviously do this and then you could like run yourself into the ground and, and go bankrupt. I mean, there's definitely wrong ways to do this. But I, I think that if you okay. were to do this, um, one, uh, you should it should be uh, – cash flow positive when you start. So this deal should be cash flow positive when you start. And after you do it, it should be cash flow positive. So you would want to be able to pull money out so you could go get another deal. Uh, uh, Technically, your return 
goes to infinity because you have no cash in or it goes extremely high because you have little cash in. But after you've sucked all the cash out, you're not going to leave yourself with a liability, a home that's running negative cash. That's stupid. Yeah. So yeah, that would be dumb. Part of the, the calculation is to pull out only as much as you can to maintain it as a good rental property investment. You would turn an insane okay. investment into an excellent or good investment. I'm trying to figure out how, uh, like what, what the common ways people would fuck this up would be. So the ways that you could screw this up is by, you know, having a deal that is very close. It's, it's like an okay or almost like a subpar deal and you refinance it into negative cash flow territory or. Now, when you say refinance into negative cash flow territory, is that going to be a function of the interest rate on the mortgage? So, so here's the thing is the interest rate could go up, but it, you know, and it may or may not account for a big difference, but when you have your initial mortgage and then you refinance and there is a bigger mortgage, your your mortgage payment goes up. Oh, yeah. Right? Because I guess the, the time period doesn't go up. It's still 30 years. In, in so this it's example. It's a higher monthly payment. So you got to make sure that if you have a bigger mortgage, which is based on a bigger valuation, then you can still rent it for enough that it will cover that and be cash flow positive. Exactly. And, and we have, it's in Simple Wealth, we kind of have like three tiers that we measured against. We have like your your monthly income. This is like in a vacuum, perfect scenario. After all expenses, this is what this is what you get. Then we yeah. have medium term, which you kind of take 15% off. Mm-hmm. And that's what what you're remaining with. So you have your expenses, an additional 15% gone. And then we have long term where we just half your rent goes out the door and then on the remaining half, we subtract all your expenses. And if you're positive at least a dollar, like you could weather a pretty ridiculous storm. And that means like like long term when you're saying half your rent goes to the door, that's basically a scenario where you don't have a tenant for a long time. Or you or have like major consistent like roof repairs. In, and then yeah. like the mole people come up through the floor. So you got to <laughs> fix that too. Like it's just a disaster. Right. And I would say like okay. personally, I mean, and there's many ways to do it and you may be, you know, prone to taking much more risk, but I would say to never do this if when you run it in something in a, in simple wealth or a similar calculator where long term it's, it's like less than a dollar. Like I wouldn't do it if it was zero or negative because I mean, you could, but it's certainly riskier. So you're looking for that dollar. Right. Now, that is that is still the case even if you're not doing a B triple R, right? Like right. that's just like the criteria for buying a good investment a rental property. Exactly. No matter and, what. And so when when you buy it, um you have to fit, it has to fit all this criteria, but when you refinance, you're essentially changing the numbers of the deal, so you have to reapply your criteria and make uh, sure okay. That it still makes sense, you know? Yeah. And while you may technically be able to pull out a ton of cash, get that in infinite cash flow, blah, 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 all this great stuff, if it puts you in a poor position long term, it's not a good move to make. So you may take less than the max cash you could take out such that you still get cash and you still have a good deal. Okay. So it's not like it's an you know, either or thing. Right. Where it's like, oh, I could pull out literally every dollar that I invested or nothing. It could be a cash out deal where you're able to realistically pull out $5,000. And uh, so there, there are a few ways that you can kind of get this, 
right? You could go to a really, uh, or just a good area. I think a really expensive area, it's not going to work, but a good area and you find a shithole in the good area, right? And you can mm-hmm. renovate or fix it up and perhaps like um, almost immediately, you have to wait like roughly six months before you could refinance after purchase. Um, you know, just within the first year, kind of pull that cash out and then you just, that that's like an insane deal. But what's much more likely uh, the case is that it may take a few years based on appreciation and whatever um, for, for it to, to make sense. Gotcha. Okay. I wonder what are like the things you can do that are dollar for dollar going to increase your home value the most. So if you go like, to HGTV, they say kitchens and bathrooms. Okay. Because I'm wondering like could you – pick like a different color of paint that would literally increase the home's value just because it's a better color. Maybe it's landscaping the front yard. Or yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit of landscaping. Like you add some rocks and yeah, I would just like, I would, cause like I think anybody wanting to do a deal like this would want to know like what is, what are the improvements that are not really worth it? Like adding a bar or adding a home theater to the house. And what are the improvements that are worth it? Like, you know, a little bit of landscaping or, you know, if it's like a dirt road for a driveway, maybe putting a driveway in or something like that. So I think, uh, well, well, there's like one catch first. Oh, there's maybe like two is, you know, like landscaping your front yard or repainting the outside of your house or inside your house could potentially increase the value of your home. Likely not enough for it to like all of a sudden, you know, be able to pull cash out. But then the other part is that like landscaping the front of your house or painting it certainly will appeal to buyers um, and, uh, you know, or people. And the thing is, you're, when you refinance, it's, it's over an appraisal. And granted, appraisers are people. They're, they're not buying it because they want to live in it. They're valuing the house for the mm. bank. So landscaping the front yard in an appraisal's, appraiser's eye may not increase the value that much. Okay, so what in an appraiser's eye is going to increase the value of the house? It may more be structural things. things, or or like a kit, like upgrading your kitchen is a non-trivial thing. You know, it's do appliances, countertop, blah blah blah. Um, the life of some of the things inside, like the HVAC. Uh, okay, you know, perhaps uh, it's you know you have a carport, which is essentially just like an overhanging thing that your car can go under and you convert a carport into a garage that could potentially increase the value. Um, okay. But you know, there's like a whole slew of things. I, I don't know. Maybe you're adding a pool. I don't know. But, I'm, uh, I'm on an article on Investopedia right now. Hmm. Eight ways to increase home appraisal value. Tell us. Maybe we should put that in the, in the show notes. Um, number one is spruce it up. Just make sure it looks good when the appraiser arrives. So like take cues from professional home stagers like HGTV people. Clean things up, declutter. If there's like holes in the walls or little paint things. I mean, the, I understand human psychology. Like it, a home appraiser is probably going to try to be as thorough as possible and as rational as possible. But they are just as subject to first impression bias yes. as we are. So if they look in the living room and it looks terrible and then the kitchen's amazing, like they're probably going to just contrast that to. Yeah. So make sure like the first things that they're going to see are look stellar. Um, It says, don't forget the outside. So take away dead trees and 
you know, if it's just, unless you're, if your yard is a total disaster, it's usually a waste of money to invest in elaborate landscaping, but you can clean some things up. Let's see here. Collect your own comps. I don't know what that means. Look at the houses nearby. I guess if your oh, neighbor's okay. places are worth 60,000, it's unlikely that you're going to be worth 120. Gotcha. Okay. Um, it says point out any major improvements, but don't make major improvements now in hope of increasing your home's appraisal or resale values. Few such projects ever recoup 100% of their cost. For example, a major kitchen renovation currently costs close to $57,000 on average, but returns Whoa. only about 68% of that, roughly 38000 They say an average kitchen renovation is 50-something thousand? Apparently, that sounds insane to me. Laura and but I then, did a okay, full that's, one. That's it was average, like, though. Okay. That's like they're probably like pulling in freaking Donald Trump's kitchen remodel, and then yeah, like that's part of the data set. We got I'm like sure you could brand do new stainless remodel, steel like, appliances. We did like fresh tile, everything. Awesome counters. Yeah. It was like eighteen or something with. Well, labor. I mean, I I look at people on r slash DIY on Reddit, and they'll do like sick herringbone wooden floor patterns on their oh, kitchen, yeah. and like they'll just do it themselves. For the cost of the wood mm. and you know their brother is a countertop installer so obviously like th this average figure you could probably dig into that and be like all right do i have an uncle who knows how to you know put in new cabinets and can i get a deal on those and can i place my own wood floors like anything to get rid of this stupid 50s tile you know so uh, let's see here be available to answer questions, but resist the urge to trail the appraiser from room to room. That makes sense. <laughs> Appraise the appraiser. Uh, look for designations like an MAI or SRA. And, and slip him $100 for... Slip your appraiser $100 <laughs> and wink knowingly. That's, That's right. tip number seven. <laughs> tip number seven is know your rights. So there's apparently like some, some rights uh, that you have. So, so look, so that's how you could improve the value. I, I want to, well, first, do you, do you have other questions on like? I'm not sure if I have other questions, but it just seem, it seems like maybe um, trying to game the appraisal process is maybe the, not, not the right tactic. I completely agree. And I, I, like I it's, tend it's to. It's like looking for homes that are already undervalued due to some yeah, other psychological. Because, you know, the roof needs to be repaired now and no one wants to deal with that. But if you can. Uh, go and get a quote, uh, find out exactly what it will be, and the numbers work. Um, yeah. it, it could go in your – essentially, you're going to be acquiring something. If, it's, if, if you're doing this immediately, like in year one, you're probably acquiring something that no one else wants to deal with, right? Right, um, yeah. Much more likely, the scenario is you find something that is a really good deal, and the aim is for like year eight. To year 15 or something through uh, uh, appreciation and your renters paying your mortgage you'll you'll pass the threshold yeah and then this will make sense okay um, so this is basically like speeding up the typical rental property process because eventually you're gonna pay off that mortgage and then at that point like you have all the equity in the house and every dollar in rent is just pure profit Exactly. Like, so if you could imagine uh, a graph, like a line graph, where there's one line going horizontally, and that's essentially the price that you put in, so it's consistent, mm -hmm. right? And then you have another line starting at like zero, zero, and it's sloping upwards, kind of like that slow hockey stick growth. There will be a point where the curving up line crosses 
the the static horizontal line that is that like at that point you know because that that sloping up line is the appreciation gaining the equity and at that point is where like it would net out zero you'd get a hundred percent of your cash back um gotcha and then but then of course it still has a cash flow positively and so yeah I took this deal this psycho deal that uh, my friend Neil got. And, and the numbers are not exact because he didn't respond in time. But uh, I think it's like very instructive. Okay. So I, I kind of want to go through them. So like we were saying before, the property is you buy it for 60000 So yeah. 12000 down with closing costs. Let's just say it's 14400 because these are the numbers I ran. Maybe it's closer mm-hmm. to 15000 whatever. The property value is 85000 Right, and let's for just whatever say, reason. for for whatever reason, right? Now, is is he investing any extra, or is it just it just becomes like how are you getting that extra twenty five thousand dollars? Let's just say, for the sake of ease, that uh, he turns around and gets it appraised and appraises for eighty five, and he's 85. so it was just horribly undervalued. It was just horribly undervalued. 85. You know, maybe uh, someone uh, acquired it through a death in the family. They just want to get rid of it. Right. Okay. I, I think we had Clayton on the show. He gets a lot of stuff like that. Um, so from day one, you have thirty-seven thousand in equity, right? Yes, because you put in twelve thousand, mm-hmm. which is twenty percent down on sixty thousand, right? And then the additional twenty-five thousand dollars in property value um, was not in the terms of the mortgage, so that's just equity for you, right? But now, it is currently locked into the house. Correct. And your upfront cost is fourteen thousand four hundred. So you have more equity than it costs you to acquire the property. So yes. you could opt to pull some out. Now, what the the minimum you would have to leave in the property is twenty percent. So you would leave seventeen thousand in the property, right? Okay. So if we do thirty-seven thousand minus seventeen thousand. You get twenty thousand dollars, right? So you could pull twenty-seven thousand or twenty thousand out of the property, and again, you've only put fourteen thousand four hundred in the property. However, refin- you can't just like walk in and like take a vacuum to the walls and like no. try to turn it money. This is probably like a thirty-day process where you have to prove to the bank that you can get a mortgage because you're essentially getting a new mortgage. Um, they right. have to appraise it, and all this costs money. So there'll be closing costs. And uh, let's assume closing costs are twenty five hundred, right? Okay. So we have the twenty thousand in equity that we could pull out, and we're just going to subtract twenty five hundred from it. That leaves us with seventeen thousand five hundred that we can pull out of the property. Which, mm-hmm. when you subtract the fourteen thousand four hundred that we initially put in, leaves us with thirty one hundred dollars more. That we invest in the property. So not only is the property cash flowing infinitely, you've actually made money on it, um, huh. which is great. But uh, let's like I want to go a bit more into the mortgage payments and kind of the cash flow piece. Okay. So um, if we assume that the the property rents for seven ninety nine, seven hundred ninety nine dollars a month. Um, and I have like some property taxes, nine fifty a year. Property insurance, seven hundred a year. Uh, essentially, uh, from when you've mortgaged a sixty thousand dollar property, 
your mortgage payment is $243 and change a month. Okay. Right. So you got your property, 60,000 mortgage is 243. But you, then you're going to have a different mortgage with the refinance, right? Right. And so when you refinance and you pull that additional 25 out, your new mortgage is 344 and change. So it's essentially oh, okay. $101 more. So basically we had to make sure that our, uh, our long-term um, rent numbers still are positive with that new uh, amount. Exactly. And okay. this slightly fictitious home uh, that you know started at $338 a month in raw income after refinance uh, would be 237. So still positive. Okay. And that actually ends up with a positive long-term as well. And so uh, they're, they're like, and I encourage everyone to like search cash out deals. Uh, we're going to have like a really detailed show notes on this or, or Burr with three R's. Um, tons of people do this, but you have to be really discriminant in the deals that you take and you have to run the the initial numbers for acquiring the property. You have to run the numbers on when the cash out makes sense and you have to run the numbers post deal to make sure that like you're not leaving yourself with a, a vampire rental property. Yeah. So you basically have to run the numbers twice. To do this. Exactly. You have to run the, the the numbers of essentially buying a property twice, and then you have to run yeah. the cash out numbers. And because this is such a pain in the ass, uh, we've, we've automated this at Simple Well. So it's just like a tab. So if, as you're doing your analysis on the property, you know, maybe it, it looks like you could cash out in 15 years or immediately or whatever. Um, but yeah, I guess our goal was to kind of make that now if you have a cash out tab there um Mm -hmm. you know say somebody's using simple wealth and they're tracking the property they own do they need to go in there and like add the new appraisal value and then it'll update based on that or like is it gonna go pull appraisal values from some public source and then they just like put in what they paid or so how does it know the difference there yeah so you would put in um what it's what you paid and i mean before you even begin this process because it costs to get a property appraised, you're going to estimate what you think it will appraise at. Mm-hmm. And it, it'll run the numbers for you. And it'll show you graphs and, and all that stuff. Um, How do you do an accurate estimate of an appraisal? I wouldn't know where to start. Is so, there like home appraising for dummies I can go by? <laughs> so one of the you know appraisals... Uh, okay, so if you get an appraisal, there are three, usually three numbers at the bottom. There are is the comp number, which they look at all the comparable properties to yours. And if it's a condo or a co-op or a a single family, they look at similar number of bathrooms, you know, bedrooms, blah, blah, blah. And they they do comps, right? They, they do, um, materials, land improvement, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they, they do, uh, I I think it's market. I'm probably butchering these. But okay. essentially, you get, you get three numbers, and the appraisal, the actual numbers land somewhere in there. Most of the weight is put towards comps. Gotcha. So really, if you can figure out what your neighbor's homes are worth, 
that gets you probably more than halfway. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Are there people who are like burr pros? Like they, that's like their entire real estate investing strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Maybe we should get one. Just like, you know, be like, you know, what, what do you do differently when you're looking for properties in the first place? Or what are your go-to improvements? Are you looking for specific, you know, are you looking for homes that have specific problems that other people don't want to deal with that you know how to deal with in a way that's going to give you a positive uh, value inc- uh, increase? I think that's an awesome idea. Yeah. L- let me ask you. There were like a lot of numbers. It was like, I was like. Oh, I get it now. So you get it. I was like, Laura was like coaching me through not losing everyone and making them want to jump out a window or like. Okay, let me see if I can break it down. Car on the let me see if I can repeat it back to you. Okay. Maybe maybe this is repetition for people who are listening, but I want to make sure that I get it. So if I get it, hopefully everyone else gets it. I'm going to go to that example. So $60,000, you got to pay 20% to you know get the mortgage, mm. 20% down. That's 12000 And you know, the moment you buy it, they turn around, they appraise it for 85 mm-hmm. because for you know, it's death in the family or whatever. So now you have that $25,000 difference between 60000 of what you paid or I guess the, what the original mortgage was for, including what you paid, mm. and 85000 which is the current value. So you have 25000 in equity. You also have uh, the 12000 in equity that you put in yourself, the literal cash you put in. Right. And then you had the you know extra $2,400 in closing costs that's basically just eaten. That's not equity. It's just gone. Mm. Right? Right. Okay. So I have $37,000 in equity, which is pretty sweet. Um, and I only put in 14,400, which is that 12,000 and plus the closing costs of Mm $2,400. So basically 80% of the 60,000, so $48,000 is the current mortgage balance. Right. I can go to bank B and be like, yo, I have this house worth $85,000. I want to take basically a loan out on the value of that. So basically they're going to like give you $85,000. Is that correct? What what they essentially do or is they like they they oh no they don't they don't give you they don't hand you $85,000, but they're going to create an $85,000 loan and Well, it would it would be minus That 20, would be like it would be 80% of the value. So they're creating so they're going from Or they yeah, 80%. So they're going to take eight uh so it what was. That, what would that be? Okay, so originally we had eighty-five thousand, a forty-eight thousand, and the new loan will be sixty-eight thousand. Okay, so yeah, sixty-eight thousand dollar loan. So they essentially, and that's where remember we were like subtracting the numbers. We came to twenty thousand. They when they refinance it, we're like if you were buying a property, and you get a mortgage, they use the money from the mortgage to pay the person that. Okay, so I guess I'm trying to figure out. That where, twenty thousand is like a check that they just okay. Sent so you. It, it was a it was a forty eight thousand dollar mortgage the first time mm-hmm. because you had put down the twenty percent, right. and now that it's an eighty five thousand dollar thing, they are creating a sixty eight thousand dollar loan. Yes, but you can take twenty thousand dollars of that and still retain twenty percent equity in the home. Correct. So and you know we're just saying that refinance costs twenty five thousand or twenty five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Closing costs blah 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 whatever. So you end up with $17,500 in your pocket at the end of this deal. And because you had originally put in 
the 14,400, you profit $3,100. Yeah. So you essentially do all your research, you acquire this property, takes one to two months. Um, you get a tenant in there, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then, then you essentially go through all the paperwork madness again. And as a result of surviving all this paperwork madness and doing your math properly and doing your research, um, you will have left $3,100 richer, like in your pocket than when you started. Plus you will have a rental property that you own that cash flow is positive. Gotcha. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Um, I guess the one question is like, you know, how how close are these numbers we're using to what you're going to actually find in the real world? So it's obviously going to be really, really, really hard to find a property that you could buy for sixty, and then like blink your eyes and it's worth eighty five. You know, yeah. Um, it's much more likely that there is something wrong that you need to renovate, and then you probably need to wait two, three, five years before this makes sense. You know, it depends on the deal. I looked at uh, Laura and I's prop, our first property that we bought with Roofstock, which is nowhere near a psycho psycho deal. Um, And if we just kept it all going as it was, uh, we would, I'm looking at it right now, in year 25, we would be able to pull this off and, and essentially hit uh, infinite cash flow. So that that's that's a much longer than immediate, right? There's just one of the properties that we bought. Um, and so basically the reason you have to wait is so you can build up more equity in the house, right? Through, a, I'm sorry, it's actually 22 years. Yeah, and, and it's appreciation um, plus uh, the equity that is gained from paying down the mortgage. For paying the mortgage. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So out of a 30-year mortgage that we have at year roughly 22, we could refinance. Um, I don't know if it'll cash flow positive at that point or what the rents will be in 22 yeah. years. But hypothetically, it would then be $0 in and we could literally just use that money to buy another one. Sweet. Well, that sounds like a pretty cool strategy. Um, are you going to burr soon? Are you, or I guess the question, cause you, you've already run the math on your current mm. properties. Are you looking for new properties with this in mind? So, um, I, I know a guy at work who, uh, first put his team in place of essentially contractors and then bought. And I don't think, I mean, he was looking to do something kind of in this realm. Uh, I think, this might be like the next level up for us is okay. we like to just do like weird, ridiculous things. And I, I would like to see it for myself, do it for myself. Um, just to yeah. see, you know, if it's a thing that I could do, cool. <laughs> I'm that weird. <laughs> <laughs> and I love paperwork that much. Well, you did say that you were, what would you say? You were a data miner. That's right. That's your your real job title. I'm a data miner by day data and a miner. data janitor by night. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you think we uh, covered it pretty well? I think so. I hope so. Sweet. I will say this is one of those episodes where you're probably going to want to look at the show notes mm. because I had the benefit of essentially being able to see the show notes yeah. while going through this. Like Andrew had screenshots of all the math uh, laid out for me. So if it doesn't make sense, I did try to run through it, but 
If it doesn't make sense, check it out on the show notes and you will be able to understand how all the numbers work. Or you could just try Simple Wealth out, put the numbers in yourself and see how they change based on changing values, which might even be more useful because then somebody could go like, you know, right, we used one example here of a $25,000 equity gap right away. Right. They could go in there and be like, all right, well, what if I had to put in $10,000 of renovations so it's a $15,000 equity gap? Mm. Does it still work then? So that might be useful to try out. Uh, simplewealth.co is the URL for that. Sign up and uh, that's plenty of time to run these numbers and check it out. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. I know Andrew's been slaving away at the computer for, I don't even know how long you've been building this now, over a year. Yeah. Because it was, it was just our, our rental property tool at one point, but it's become so much more now. It's like a, at this point when this episode goes live, I think it'll be like a year and like two months, a year and three months. Yeah, because I remember we did our big, uh, we did our big real estate like investing thing, November 2016, I think it was. September. Oh, September. Okay. Mm. Yeah, for some reason. I thought it was November. But yeah, so check it out, simplewealth.co. You can also email us your questions if they are about real estate investing or if they're about really anything else related to personal finance. We want to hear from you guys. So hit us up, listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. We'll get those questions answered on the show or by email. You can also check out our toolbox of resources that we love for making your, per- your personal finances better, budgeting tools, investing tools, all kinds of cool stuff over at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. So thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Later, man. Later, dude. Please tell your friends about this show. (laughs) 